0: Welcome to The Big Deal, where we'll unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Tredray, along with Andrew Montessi, Dion Heyman and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and more. Don't forget to sign up at www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities.
1: Welcome to another episode of The Big Deal. I'm Andrew Montesi, joined by AFL legend Warren Treadray. G'day, Tredders. How are you doing, Monty? Good, thanks, mate. Now, each week we've been sending out a weekly wrap of the biggest sports deals via our Substack newsletter at www.thebigdeal.au. Now, we're going to start dropping it on the podcast, a nice little audio version. So, this is our first crack at it. Look at us, Tredders. Pr- look at us progress, eh? I know. Look at us <laughs> ghost. By, by popular demand, I think it's because you've you've blown up the numbers on the pod lately, Treaders. So um, now it's going to be good to to talk through everything that's been happening in sports business over the last week or so. Uh, the first one, obviously, the footy world's really been blown away by the success of the AFL's gather round held in SA. What's the update, mate?
0: Well. Monty, this has been an overwhelming success and and you being a South Aussie and myself being a South Aussie knew that the South Australians would get behind it very much like the big live event that's about to take off uh at Grange Golf Course this weekend uh, with the world's best golfers coming in. But the South Australians have a history of getting behind big sporting events. We remember the Grand Prix many years ago, uh, Tour Down Under, started from nothings, now on the World Tour event for cycling. Uh, Multiple events, uh, festivals, all those sorts of things, Riders Week, there's all these things. So effectively, South Australians will rock up uh, and support big events. They are loyal, they stick with their state, and and it was... um, Absolutely uh, no coincidence that um, it was an overwhelming success, even to a stage that the AFL via McLaughlin and Pilar Malinowskis, the uh, Premier of South Australia, have announced that uh, Adelaide will to continue to host gather Out until the end of the 2026. So originally... Uh, they were already saying it was a one year deal. Well, I, I told you many months ago on this um, on our forums that uh, it was a two year deal, but that's been torn up for a new three year deal so uh, worth eighty six million bucks for the sa government, It cost them about fourteen around fourteen million to secure the rights. Um, all nine games. Uh, was sold out. And I think this is massive because, yes, some games were played at Norwood Oval to eight to 10,000 people. There's a game I called for 5AA between North Melbourne and Brisbane, which was out at Mount Barker. They got about 7,500 people. But people just rocked up. And I think this was absolutely phenomenal just because not only were you, almost like like Melbourne, footy clubs, you, know, you go to the MCG, a lot of Melbourne members or MCG members uh, just go to watch a good game of footy, not necessarily their team. It was the first time we'd felt that in South Australia for quite some time. It was a real carnival atmosphere. Mm. They, they did it very, very well. And even if you listen to uh, the Premier talking, he said, imagine what we're going to do with a decent lead-in. We had about nine months leading on this one. Um, well, I think we can do a lot, lot better on off uh, in the future if, we, uh, if we're able to spend some time and plan ahead. The big bit here is um, all AFL clubs have been given an extra $750,000 as a result of participating in this, which is great news. Uh, Monty, yeah. what I can say is of the seven fifty, two fifty stays with the club into their coffers, 500000 goes to their players, which is in the salary cap, which will be done on effectively a participation, uh, a games payment split up that way. Um, so the yeah. players get... Pretty well off, another half a million bucks into their coffers. Um, the New Deal, uh, which is I find really interesting here, is that as part of this uh, gather round uh, three-year extension through to 26, the AFL and the South Australian government will go dollar for dollar in upgrading all facilities in South Australia. When I say all facilities, it's change rooms for women, it's upgrading facilities at uh, ovals, grandstands. Uh, anything that's needed. So it's a co-investment model. So, for example, there wasn't a game in the brossa this year because the Oval wasn't up to standard and the facilities weren't up to standard. Well, I'll guarantee you that there's going to be one there. Yeah, they'll also look yeah. at McLaren Vale, the Adelaide Hills, and the Barossa Valley because they are big wine regions. They are a big selling point for the South Australia's tourism um, and it makes absolute sense that they'll upgrade facilities, one, in those areas, but two, in other areas, maybe local sample clubs uh, who haven't got the facilities that others have. Maybe a game will be played there. They'll be able to upgrade. Uh, effectively, they're going to upgrade these facilities anyway, but it brings forward a lot of the investment. Mm-hmm. So um, I really love the fact that they're able to do that um, re-establish and reinvest in their local community footy because the big level gets all the money and then it all drips down, as we know. If the big le- big level can actually help fund the lower levels and support and upgrade infrastructure, that's a legacy that can last ten and twenty and thirty years going down the track. So, um, and the key bit with all this too is, whilst the dates haven't been locked in just yet, uh, there's a fair bit of pressure back on the AFL from the South Australian government to say, lock it in for whatever round you want, whether it's round five again or round six or round four or whatever it is, it needs to be in the Victorian school holidays um, and we need to know as soon as you can so that people can start planning and booking ahead for their weekends. Because what we've found is there were people that actually went to nine games, which is unbelievable. You would have to have left some games a little bit early to get there or, or miss a bit of the next one. Um, but that, that's, just, that's just the uh, tribalism of AFL footy. And I think it's a huge success. I know the NRL has theirs. The AFL are already saying that the AFL's version is always better, as they always do. Those two keep bickering like uh, brothers and sisters. Um, but I just think at the end of the day, everyone wins. The South Australian public wins. The AFL teams win. Um, you know, the, the local footy wins. The government wins. You know, businesses win. Yep. Um, and it offers a dimension that I'm not sure you can roll it anywhere else. In Sydney, I don't think the The average Sydney footy fan cares that much. Brisbane, it's not going to work. Perth would probably work, but it's a fair bit further away to travel. Um, Adelaide's that nice middle bit. It's 800 or an hour flight from Melbourne, a couple hours from Sydney or Brisbane, and then Perth, you're you're closest to, to Perth there is. So I think it's been a winner on all fronts.
1: The community benefit is massive. I mean, you mentioned that, that co-investment model. I mean, that's going to have a huge payoff. And even, you know, you talk about bringing the, um, the world renowned wine regions into it. You know, you start getting that, that tour down under flavor where, you know, the whole community comes alive around the game. There's the parties, there's a festival, there's all of the benefit that you get at like a tour down under stage, you know, so the, the the economic benefit and the community engagement is just going to be huge.
0: Yeah, they're also talking the um, street parades, you know, even someone on uh, radio when I was working on radio last night even suggested, hey, maybe go down to Glenelg, play a game at Glenelg, you close off Jetty Street and turn it into a festival. And there's all this different thinking that, as you say, has pretty much come from the Tour Down Under model of community and bringing people involved and, um, and that model is a different model because there's no money really made from the tour down under um, because you don't mm. pay for admittance because it's all over the country. You just over the state, you just drive around. But this can be the next best model. But there is a, obviously a payoff, and the t- ticket pricing was pretty cheap too. Now, I think at stage tickets were like fifty bucks, thirty to fifty dollars, and you got two games back to back. Yeah. It was it was amazing. Um, now there was the uh, Essendon. Melbourne game, Uh, Essendon got up and followed by Paul Bulldogs that night at at, uh, Adelaide Oval. So I I think the model's very good and I think it's from here to stay and it's good that it's here for three more years.
1: Absolutely. Now, a few few other big Big talking points floating around in the AFL. Uh, and traders. there's more news on the AFL's growing concussion problem.
0: Yeah, there is. Gary Ablett uh, Sr. is officially suing the AFL, um, ex-Geelong and Hawthorne star over concussions. Uh, and he says it's caused him some brain damage. Uh, he's not able to work, he says, or afford his medical costs. Um, and as we're aware, there's two massive class actions going too. Um, this is all off the back of uh, multiple people feeling like they've been injured in the workplace. Um, take that even further. The NFL, there was over a billion-dollar payout from a similar type of case. So um, the class actions, I think, are going to, ha- going to be successful. Uh, I can't see why they won't be if there's injury caused. And the, the way we, uh, we, when I say we, everyone in the AFL now deals with concussions, concussion rules, sub- um, activations. None of that was in my time, let alone when Gary Ablett was playing before my time or years gone by. So I think it's an interesting time. Uh, I wondered whether this could bankrupt the league. Um, well, it's going to seriously hurt their insurers um, and they'll be the ones on the hook for the money here. But just imagine a huge payout and the resulting bump in premiums that the AFL is then going to have to try and re- reinsure with, um, which might have to be in a situation where there might not be any takers from an insurance model. It might have to be a self-insured model. So um, I think that's the other issue for the AFL playing out down the track. But I think first and foremost, you've got to look after your players. Um, It was a different culture back then. You know, you were seen this week. If you were fine, I remember Gavin Brown getting KO'd in a 1990 grand final against Essendon and then comes on and plays the last half of footy. Unbelievable. Like, you know, those days are well and truly behind us, which is great. Um, I think we're a lot smarter with it all now. We understand and we're still learning more and more by the day. But, yeah, no one should be in a a case of being incapacitated in their life because of um, what has happened in the game they've played.
1: Was concussion ever an issue for you? No, I had a
0: mild concussion once, um, but it was delayed. Um, Hit my head on the turf at Suby uh, over in Perth. And I like the recovery from this one, Monty. They said sleep as much as you can, and I love sleep, so no one needs to encourage me to do that.
1: <laughs> there you go. Not sure if that's the uh, the best advice these days, but anyway. Now um, AFL CEO Gil McLaughlin, we've talked about him a bit uh, on the show. He was supposed to be out after gather round, but he's still hanging around. Oh, this is what's the deal? This is it? a rabble.
0: Uh, I, I I don't think anyone knows the deal. Um, Kylie Watson Wheeler, which is the Western Bulldogs president. She's a senior vice president, managing director of the Walt Disney Company in Australia, New Zealand. She's the one who's believed to have surged into contention for the CEO role. So the other key one, Monty, is uh, AFL chief executive and general manager of footy operations, legal integrity. That's Andrew Dillon. He's the Mr. All Parts. Um, He's the other one. The other three contenders, Kylie Rogers, who works at the AFL, Travis Old, who's an executive also in the AFL, and Tigers boss Brendan Gale. But uh, what everyone keeps talking, and then these things are always filtered out slowly to the media, is I suspect uh, uh, Kylie Watson-Wheeler, it's out of two, uh, and Andrew Dillon. I hope it's out of three having Brendan Gale. But the AFL generally never likes to employ from clubland, um, which I find it interesting. So um, maybe... Kylie Watson-Wheeler gets the the, the nod, but uh, it was really interesting because she wasn't in Adelaide on the weekend for Gather Round and there was some bad PR about that. She had another function and um, word around all that sort of stuff was that it would have been a good opportunity for her to push the flesh with the governments and all that sort of stuff. And gosh, really, does it really matter that much? Um, but the interesting take I take from all this is we are what round six into an AFL season. We don't know who the CEO is going to be. We haven't had a head of football for the entire year, other than the acting Travis. Uh, sorry, um, Andrew Dillon. What a rabble! It's an absolute rabble. Yeah. They knew what Gill was doing because Gill stepped down, or did he step down in March last year? So we've had over twelve months to go through this process. Um, they would come out of COVID. It's not like they're heading into COVID and they've been uh, restricted by that. Um, they only started interviewing about six weeks ago. I just think this has been grossly managed poorly, if that makes any sense at all. I just can't see how you can have no head of footy for an AFL season right now. And then you go, okay, cool, take a step back. If we need a new CEO, wouldn't he, want, he or she want his head of footy? Yeah, that's fine. So why are we in a case where we don't have a CEO? The only CEO um, succession I was ever involved in was at my club, Port Adelaide, at the end of 2004 season when we won the premiership, was Brian Cunningham, the long-standing CEO, was stepping down at, I think, October, September 30, and John James was appointed from October 1. But John James was there for multiple weeks beforehand. I think it would have been four or five weeks beforehand. So there was a genuine, or maybe even longer, there was a genuine process of a handover. This just looks like they're making it up on the fly, and I think the clubs and fans deserve better than this.
1: Yeah, it's a bit embarrassing. Yeah, it's pretty ordinary. As you said, like um, the biggest businesses, this is just this is just part of the process. Everyone knows how to do it. Everyone knows what needs to be done. I get it. It's a high-profile role, but come on. The way this has been dragged out, it's just embarrassing. Now, moving on to cricket, Saudi Arabia is in talks with the ICC about launching the world's richest IPL tournament. Now, we've talked a lot about the uh, sports washing and Saudi Arabia just getting more and more involved in world sport. I mean, this is another massive move from the Gulf states.
0: Yeah, it is massive. And this is where the Saudis are reportedly, as you mentioned, investigating the possibility of launching what's likely to be the world's most lucrative T20 tournament. Well, we talked about the IPL. (laughs) <laughs> now you put the Saudis involved with it after the chairman of their cricket board, a Saudi prince, has declared his intention to make a global cricketing destination. Well, this has been reported in both the Melbourne Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. Well, discussions have actually taken place between the Saudi government reps and the owners of the IPL, including the possibility of Indian players who've so far been banned from participating in overseas T20 tournament, tournaments, which is allowed which they're being allowed to participate in. Um, Well, last October, the International Cricket Council agreed a global partnership with Saudi Aramco, which is the nation's petrol company, and it includes involvement in the World Test Championship, which will be between India and Australia, at the Oval in June, and the ODI World Cup in the autumn. So in February, the Saudi Tourism has joined with Aramco, uh, among the IPL's key sponsors, Meanwhile, the IPL is preparing to load up on contracts even more, luring players away from their countries. And I think this is a real challenge because if you sit back and look at this, Monty, you go, well, everyone knows what the big play is here from the big teams. It's very much like a Melbourne City slash Manchester City, New York City setup, where Manchester City's parent company has a heap of players. They then ship them around the world and play in all different leagues. You know, we've seen David Villa who came and played with Melbourne City for a while um, absolute superstar of Barcelona in Spain I think won a World Cup um, I think what we're going to be finding is say for example the Dave Warner of the world might play for a uh, IPL team and then you know there's word around that some of these guys might get seven and a half million dollars us a year just to play permanent t20 cricket so and if you've fallen out of love of test cricket which is still the seen as the best, right, to represent your country. But if you're like a Dave Warner who's on the verge of not playing test cricket anymore, and someone comes to you with seven and a half million bucks, or Steve Smith, or Virat Kohli,
1: Yeah, but it's, even if you love test cricket, it's enough cash to go, you know what, maybe I can love it a little yeah, less. Yeah, and then all
0: you do is you, you, you might be competing in six, maybe maximum eight six-week tournaments, and you get your money. Yeah, and you, if you're a fast bowler, you're bowling three or four overs a game. Not many. Like, so your workload's not huge, you, so you're able to probably stay in the game for longer. And you might, for example, if and the Big Bash isn't included in this, but who's to say it doesn't get re-regulated and all of a sudden foreign ownership can come in? So the Kolkata Knight Riders who are in the IPL might become the Adelaide Knight Riders instead of the Adelaide Strikers. Um, and then it might be the... Um, Islamabad Night Riders or yeah you know, I mean you, yeah and then you know the Surrey Night Riders in in uh in England so I think what we'll be seeing very soon is you have a worldwide league where it'll effectively be country hopping continent hopping playing and, and you're almost like the live golfers you know you're representing your team in various tournaments all over the all over the world
1: hmm. yeah it's interesting I mean as a as a cricket fan I'm sad because i love i love my test cricket but man like you can't blame the the players for pursuing it uh but you know you as a cricket australia you've also got to be pretty concerned yeah you have to be and
0: we chatted with greg chapel on this podcast probably about six months ago now and he revealed that his first test match payment per test was getting 200 dollars aussie per test and that's when they had to work and it wasn't paying them enough. And then I think World Series cricket came in and he earned about seventy or $80,000. Like, it just shows you how the organisations have taken the piss for years. And, you know, Cricket Australia, they get a pretty good model. But the difference between the haves and haves not in test cricket is amazing. It's no coincidence Australia and India are at the top and England are not far behind generally. Because they're the ones that spend the most money. They're the ones that got the resources. When I grew up as a kid, and I'm a bit older than you, Monty, I used to go to Adelaide over to watch a test when the West Indies were playing, but the West Indies dominated everything, and that wasn't off the back of the money. That was the back of participation. And now the challenge they have in in um, the West Indies now is soccer is huge participation and has effectively taken over cricket as the number one sport. So, um, yes, this is a massive concern, but I think they almost need to be continuing to refresh and to re re-thrash out and spend money into this system and try and make it better, you're not going to be able to compete with the IPL's monies of the world. But I think long as cricket's governing body can still hold Test cricket as the best, um, you need to be able to release those players. Like Mitchell Stark hasn't played um, IPL, chooses not to play, goes without the money and he commits to Australia. That's not to say he's less committed or more committed than Pat Cummins or Dave Warner or Steve Smith who choose to do it. Um I, yeah. I think it's a it's a really interesting dynamic of where it heads to from here. But as you say, I agree, Test cricket has to still become the the main game because that, that's what yeah. cricket was born on. Um but ultimately it all comes back to dollars and attendance. And if people choose not to attend Test cricket anymore, then it's got some serious challenges ahead. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Now over to uh some basketball. Now plenty going on. Um kind of loving where Aussie basketball is at. You know, I think the NBL's doing really well as a competition, seeing uh, many stars coming out of Australia doing really well in the NBA. It's uh, it's pretty exciting to see. But another big move in the NBL's free agency, the NBA draftee Luke Travers has been playing with Perth, but uh, he moved seeking more opportunity. Now it's one of those situations where he gets drafted into the, well, for the, um, I think by the Cavs uh, in the NBA, but he's playing playing in the NBL. So he's seeking more opportunity and he's gone and signed a three-year deal with Melbourne. And it was interesting to see the newsbreaker, Travis. Oh Well,
0: every player wants to always be a journal at heart, don't they? And you talk about someone who helped get his start in the NBL with the Adelaide thirty sixes. It was a guy called Josh Gideon. Now this young guy's doing okay over there in the NBA, but he, he tweeted out, breaking, Luke Travis has inked a three-year deal with Melbourne United, sources tell me, with a big smiley face. So um, what way that, to get traction, uh, if we look at his uh, Twitter followers, uh, you think about any press release that the NBL could put out or the AFL could put out. Well, I think this has probably got a far greater reach um, and you look at it and go, this guy has got 103,000 followers. So that's a nice little uh, Josh Giddy uh, tweet, considering that's going to go to 103,000 in, 103, inboxes uh, with that information. So oh, I find this interesting. Oh, yeah. and I love the fact that, you know, if the guy's still... Um, picked up by an NBA club and, and comes back to get some game time and to develop. It's no different to what the major leagues have been doing with the local baseball here for years too. You know, been able to refresh yeah. these guys and giving them opportunity.
1: Well, and there's that genuine link and partnership between the NBL and the NBA and the NBL is really pushing for it, obviously like the NBA, Obviously, um, as a as a global brand, but the NBA is huge in Australia. So the further they can align themselves with the NBA, it's just going to be great for the NBL brand. But you know, I know we're we're a sports business pod, but I've been loving Josh Giddy's work this year. Like, you know, they're, they're talking. I'm not a I'm not a basketball nut like some of the uh, many others in Australia, but guys that know are saying that he could realistically become Australia's greatest NBA product. Like his second year's been. Insanely good. Like what are some of the records, traders that he's been breaking? Well, he broke
0: an NBA record for most points in the NBA playoffs on debut, right? 31 points. That's more. Just give you a couple of names here. Put it in perspective. More than Jordan, Iverson or Durant put up in their first game beyond the regular it's season. He's also surpassed a bloke called Magic Johnson, who used to play for the Lakers. Second most triple doubles oh. by a player before turning twenty-one. And that record was, is held um, by Mavericks star Luka Doncic with 21. So he's doing all right. And the beauty is, unlike Ben Simmons, for various reasons, this guy has committed to playing for the Boomers in the World Cup later this year. So I know, we, as you said, we're a sports business podcast, but fast forward to when his rookie deal runs out, he'll get the rookie max extension. And if Oklahoma don't do it, someone else will do it. This kid, yep. What was missing from his game is those big bags of points. He was very much an assist king. But now he's obviously got the confidence to um he's improved on his shooting. Um and I still remember his time at Adelaide. Yeah, it's the first half of the season, he was really struggling. Um and he was just off the bench and playing bit part roles and all of a sudden made some decision, pushed him in as a starter and he just flourished and he's a serious talent. Um and, and good on him because he's taken on the biggest league and he's dominating.
1: Absolutely, and playoffs time's pretty exciting. I'm I'm based out here in Northern California at the moment, and I, I conveniently adopted the Sacramento Kings as as my team. I, I live two hours away, two hours drive, so they were my closest team. And the Kings have gone off, but I was, uh, I thought I'll have a little gander at what the uh, the playoffs tickets. How much? Um, yeah, maybe I might. Maybe I might they're, go they're for playing a drive. Golden State, don't they? So that, if I, right now, as we as we're recording, other, that's your this, other
0: um, neighbor. That's your other team. You I could have I,
1: picked. Yeah, but they're too mainstream, okay. mate. Everyone's everyone's on Golden State. So I went for the Kings, thinking of the underdogs. They hadn't played playoffs since two thousand and six. So the prices the game one at uh in Sacramento set a new NBA record. they were, they were selling for eight hundred and twenty one dollars. Couldn't seat, could, which is a record. Couldn't for, charge eight hundred and nineteen.
0: Had to be twenty one, did that?
1: Well, that's just what the numbers were. You know, the the model's different over there. The prices change, it's it's a it's a bit all over the place. So they are just skyrocketed and, and that would be you know, a
0: cheap seat too, wouldn't it?
1: Absolutely, that'd be that'd be in, in the rut ra- like
0: in the, up in, the, in, in the rafters, rafters up near the birds who've made the nest at the top of the stadium.
1: Absolutely. But now we're watching closely, mate. The uh the old Kings, I'm a longtime fan, been with them for about six months. So uh yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're <We'll> getting <laughs> long all over it. light the beam. That um
0: but it light doesn't the finish there with American sports, so I wonder when when that next, well, when the NBA will play a game out here, there's no doubt that's what Australia yeah. would love to do. I know we've seen Team USA play against the Boomers combined team a couple of years ago in Melbourne, um, but it brings me to the NHL they're coming to Australia, which um, they're bringing two preseason games later this year. It's the first time uh, the United States-based league has ventured into the Southern Hemisphere. LA Kings and Arizona Coyotes will contest games in at Melbourne's Rod Arena. Anyone who's not aware, that's where the Australian Open Tennis is held. Um, it holds, I think, around 15,000 spectators. So that's on September 23 and 24. Wow, grand final week, AFL. Interesting. Um,
1: so it's the 2020... It'll still sell out. No, no, no doubt about that.
0: 2023 NHL Global Series. So um, both games commence at 2 o'clock. And as you said, they're expected to sell out. And tickets... Pretty affordable, I would have thought. 80 bucks or 79 for children and 99 for adults. So tech uh, from April 17th. So they're up and going right now.
1: Absolutely. That'll be, uh, that'll be great. I mean, we love our US sports. So, you know, any of those games come down under and the fans come out of the woodwork. Now, Traders, we've been talking a lot about uh, gambling in, in professional sport as well and just kind of the role that the gambling companies play. Uh, you'll be pleased to see that the Premier League has banned gambling from their front-of-shirt sponsorships. Wow.
0: Bang. They've called it out. And a lot of those lower-tier clubs, as we said, are sponsored by gambling or money-based industries. So, um, yeah, that's an interesting one, isn't it?
1: Yeah, the uh, they're going to take a fair hit. So they're looking at an income cut of like around £5 million. Uh, per season maybe even more maybe even double that 10 million bucks these things will play roundabout. yeah so but just kind of reading into it a bit they're saying some of the the experts in the sponsorship space are kind of expecting the other assets that that will be made that still will be available to gambling companies are going to get cranked up Uh, but the the market will shift so it's going to be it's going to be interesting and and surely the gambling companies are going to start to see that the writing is on the wall, like particularly when the, the major leagues kind of take a stance like yeah. this, the ripple effect through global sports is going to be um, interesting.
0: Call me the cynic here, but when it just says front of shirt sponsorship, it doesn't rule out back of shirt sponsorship and it doesn't rule out sleeves or collars. Oh, exactly. So as you say, they're probably saying, well, yeah, we might lose X amount on the front, but we'll make triple the amount on the shoulder or the back. Is that fair or is
1: Well, bit by bit, you know, they they have to, um, you know, their sport is very dependent on gambling cash. So (laughs) I think they just gradually have to drip feed themselves through other sources and um, ease themselves off the teat, as it were. The
0: gambling teat.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's honestly a bit like that. I mean, we laugh, but it's actually pretty sad. Well,
0: if you look at just from a sheer dollars and – sense point of view, if you're, you're pretty much in the finance or in marketing in that club, you're like, wow, where do we get this money from? How do we support it? Because let's right. face it, those Premier League clubs or championship clubs, it's an arms race. You know, it's no coincidence yeah. that the top clubs are the ones that spend almost the most. You know what I mean? And yeah. they're owned by billionaires who don't necessarily need to balance the books. And, and that's always been a challenge. Um, I can't remember a team that's, yeah you know, probably Leicester City was the last team that won the Premier League who weren't seen as a big spender. They were sort of new to the league. Um, and now they face yeah. almost in the relegation zone. So that, that's where it can turn relatively quickly. Uh, and When we're still on uh, soccer, Sam Kerr is set to play in front of a record FA Cup crowd. So Aussie superstar Sam has sent Chelsea into the women's FA Cup final. Which will she take on Man United on May 14? It's expected to smash all attendance records for women's. More than 50,000 tickets to Wembley Stadium have already been sold. Uh, by the end of March, and it's only the neutral tickets. Both clubs have 8,000 each to sell, and if they exceed 61,000, that's the record number It'll for any domestic women's soccer match in history. So Wembley holds 90. Who knows how many people they can fit in? And um, th- these games are amazing, and uh, I've heard inter- uh, opposition uh, countries players talk about curse star factor. They said there's stuff that she can do that no one can do, and, you know, if don't worry. If I was in uh, the UK at that time, I'd be going along have a look.
1: Absolutely. Now some quick updates on some sales. Man United. We've been covering that a bit in the wrap. The uh, the potential sale. I think the the Glates has wanted US seven point four bill. Just a just a small it's amount. Eleven there. million Aussie. Uh,
0: Eleven. Sorry, billion Aussie.
1: Yeah. Sorry. Get the get the B in there but it doesn't look like it's uh, they're going to be able to get well, it the number. Like it sounds
0: like they've almost been kicking the tyres a little bit because yeah. UK billionaire Jim Ratcliffe, who's uh, effectively part owner of Mercedes, I think he also owns uh, another soccer club off the top of my head. I can't remember now. Nice, might even be Nice Soccer Club. Um, but he's a man-new fan from years gone by. Also, Qatar Sheik who's interested in buying. They put bids in for reported... You know just over six six point two billion dollars, but they wanted seven point four well it's not like it's six bucks fifty versus seven bucks fifty. There's a big gap between the evaluation so it almost just says says to me that this is sort of a tie kicking exercise to see what it's worth now and what people are willing to sell and where they're gonna go from uh go towards The future, And and obviously, that's the Glazier family who own uh, Manchester United. And no doubt, they've never been not super popular with the Man United fans. So I think this will probably make them more annoyed um, with their owners.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But they reckon that with a bit of extra investment, uh, they could double the value of, of the club over the next decade. So... My gosh, it's getting pretty crazy. And over to the NFL, we've seen that Josh Harris, owner of Philadelphia's 76ers and the New Jersey Devils, has led a group that bid around $6 billion for the Washington Commanders, and that's going to happen. So a final agreement between Harris and the Commanders owner, Dan Snyder, is expected soon. Now, this is probably the biggest story of our rap, to close it out. Justice for Dinger. That's the headline. Where would you get this from? (laughs) Just as for Dinger, there's a mascot for the Colorado Rockies Good. on Monday, got taken out by oh, a fan. Beauty. Now,
0: what like dead back in taken back out. in
1: my early, yeah, taken out by a fan. Now, I empathise with yeah. Dinger because you know I was when I was working at the Crows, my my first job, I had to get in the mascot. Oh, did you you would have um,
0: hated people like and me, and I got. I remember.
1: Oh, yeah. Our marketing oh, yeah.
0: assistant and media assistant's got the short um, short straw to on family days to do the same thing but in Thunder Power. And at the end of the clinics, I'd say to the kids, you get a free pie and a Coke if you can deck him. <laughs> They'll get the free oh, pie and Coke anyway. You. But,
1: God, I would have hated you. They used to come up and kick my shins and I'd be like yelling through the beak of the <laughs> crow. Hey, don't touch me. Get off me. <laughs> Exactly. So this poor this poor mascot got taken out and and twenty-four thousand people were in attendance at this game, apparently didn't see the bloke wow. that did it. So the, the the cops put up a two grand reward and this forty five year old male has come forward and um, and said, Yeah, I did it. Now I just I just loved the <laughs> I was reading the report. As Dinger, a purple triceratops, performed a dance routine, the suspect climbed on top of the bullpen, <laughs> looked at Dinger, and then moved to tackle the mascot, knocking him off his feet. Dinger seemed to get the best of the encounter by standing up quickly and continued to dance. Like, what a hero. Actually continued to dance, but then later found that there were some injuries, and according to this report, uh, Dinger could yeah. sue. There's so like we'll, a comp we'll over there. Sure we'll,
0: we'll... Workers' comp, here we go.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We'll keep um, we'll keep our listeners updated on that one because a, that's an ever-moving story. So, All right. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in to our wrap, our first audio version of the wrap of The Big Deals this week. You can get the full list of notes from the stories that we covered today via the link in the episode notes and subscribe at www.bigdeal.au so you don't miss it each week. So stand by for our next interview on The Big Deal podcast coming up next. Thank you Traders. It's been a pleasure as always. Thank
0: you. Before you go, don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals, breaking sports biz news as it happens and much more. Join me at www.thebigdeal.au.